What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nuclear Barbarians. It is I, your nuclear barbarian, Emmett Penny. And today I've got an exciting episode where I'm going to learn a lot and ask dumb questions about transmission and distribution because I have Bryce Johannick, a grid operations guy, here to talk to us. What is up, Bryce? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Hey, great to be talking to you. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, all is good. I think we can cover some interesting topics. Yeah, I, I believe so too. So, before we get into that, like, what is your background? What does grid operations guy mean? And how did you level up to grid operations guy? Because I know that you've been in the game for a while. Yeah, yeah. 2006, I went to line school. Uh, it was a 10-month program right out of high school and tested out of my first year of my apprenticeship books while going to line school, which was sort of an unusual offering. And, you know, was fortunate enough to pass the first year test. So then had, you know, what amounted to three more years of an apprenticeship. So four years in total of book work and on-the-job training. And, you know, 2009-10 became a journeyman lineman working in central Minnesota on the distribution mm-hmm. system. And then 2014, made a little career change. Obviously wanted to stay in the industry, but wanted to learn more. Made it work with the family situation and started working in a distribution control center. Mm-hmm. So, you know, was functionally a distribution system operator, right? Not the economic VSO concept that gets often talked about and, you know, is or may become a real thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, but a distribution system operator working, you know, rotating shifts, sitting in a control room, working with linemen. And, you know, that was in a pretty small utility, but, but a very advanced one in the upper Midwest. And, you know, you kind of end up wearing many hats and ended mm-hmm. up kind of moonlighting, moonlighting at night while at work as a, an AMI DBA or a, a smart meter you know, database admin sort of tasked with, you know, A, making the system work, the metering communication system work, and um, and then B, you know, leveraging the meter data, the measurement data. And that turned into a full-time gig at that same utility, but again, was a mini hat type thing. So I started working in the meter shop, which is kind of a unique corner of a utility world that really nobody gets exposure to unless, you know, you work in the meter lab. Yeah, unless you're deep in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, meters are abstract and, and electrical measurements are abstract and, you know, big, large commercial metering services are abstract and obscure, but so functionally became, you know, a journeyman meterman as well, you know, wiring up 50 KVA to, you know, 20 megawatt metering installations. And then the, the DBA aspect of that job required enough that, after several years, you know, was a full-time AMI DBA and, and meter data user, which kind of led me into the, you know, distinction between meter measurements and and relay measurements, you know, like skater relay measurements, and, you know, started thinking about the distinctions and the unique properties of each and, and learned that, hey, I'm dealing with what's known as asynchronous data, and I want to learn about what's better, <laughs> and that's that's known as time-synchronous data in the TND world, synchrophasers, phaser measurement units, those types of things. Mm-hmm. So that was probably 2018, 2019. And yeah, I connected myself with some people leading the space and said, hey, I need to be working with you to learn more about this. And right. so here I am today. Man, that's fantastic. It's cool to talk to somebody that's actually been in alignment and has been out in the field, like seeing how the stuff is actually physically working out there. I think, you know, this would be a criticism of myself as well, but I know that you and I have agreed that it would be nice if there was a little bit more of that in the energy space rather than map territory conflation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's a hard thing and it's, you know, valid and due to a lot of historical reasons that are, 
you know, outside mm -hmm. of everybody's control, but kind of ends up being a systems problem that we have a lot of theorists and, and even practitioners in their own space who've never actually worked on a power grid. And obviously, you know, there's a big safety component that comes along with that. So, you know, nobody can just be thrown into it. But as I've said, and people have probably heard me say elsewhere, if you're if you're studying the ocean, you know, you may be living on a ship and working on or in the ocean. <laughs> but if you're if you're studying the power grid, that's not the same. Mm -hmm. And that kind of contributes to a lot of shortcomings, I think. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's sort of before we get to some of what those shortcomings might be and how to think about it, let's talk about T and D in general. Like what is it? How does it work? And we'll have some other questions after that. So let's get into that first. Just brass tacks. Yeah, no, solid question. And and uh, yeah, happy to chat about it. I you know, T and D is the electric grid. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess I would just start by saying that. Anytime and so often I hear people saying, you know, grid this, grid that. Mm -hmm. But when you dig into the article and you dig into what they're saying, they may be talking about an asset that's connected to the electric grid, right? Mm -hmm. Or an asset that's connected to T and D is another way of putting it, mm -hmm. uh, right? Generation is not the electric grid. Mm -hmm. Behind the meter assets are not the electric grid or any entity representing a subset of the grid is not mm -hmm. the electric grid, right? ISOs, RTOs are not the grid. Reliability coordinators are not the grid. Utilities, community choice aggregators, none of these are the grid, right? It is the physical infrastructure that, you know, to think of it backwards, because it's easier for people, starts at your meter socket and goes up, right? Upline mm -hmm. to substations via a bunch of switches and then back up to transmission circuits, again, via a bunch of switches and eventually make it back to multiple generation sources, right? Mm -hmm. Nuclear plants, any of the generation sources we're familiar with. So that's the grid from my perspective, right? And, and the, the important reason to denote that it's not anything else than that is because everything else than that, that gets conflated mm -hmm. when we say the grid literally represents, you know, a single digit percentage, uh, you know, of that infrastructure. If that, right, generators mm. don't represent the grid, but you know, ISOs, RTOs, reliability coordinators, you know, even any individual utility, right? That's all, you know, representing a fraction of a percent or a percent of the T&D infrastructure as a function of, of installed assets and line miles. So, Right. So uh, first of all, that's very eye-opening because I didn't know that it was such a, I knew that obviously T&D is huge, but I didn't know that generators were such a small sliver of what's going on there. I'm certainly guilty of sort of the colloquialism of using grid to talk about it. So I'm happy to have some technical clarification here on what it actually is. So let me just ask you this then, what are you, what are the reasons why you think people misunderstand what the grid is? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think because nobody has exposure to it, mm. right? The exposure people have to the grid is, you know, either from the windshield you know, or from, you know, their day job, which mm -hmm. if they aren't alignment, they're not working on the grid, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. I mean, you know, you can shoehorn meter men in there. But that's a really small fraction of employees, right? I think we have maybe 150,000 linemen in this country and I don't know, 20 to 40, maybe 50,000 system operators, mm -hmm. right? Even the system operators, they're not, you know, and again, I'm talking about the system operators at utilities. They're they're working on the grid functionally, right? From a desk, they're not you know, out touching the things. And and the devices that they have visibility to 
are a fraction of a percent of the installed devices. So, you know, I, I think I guess that's the reason that I think it's sort of missed is because uh, nobody has visibility to it, you know, nobody can gain that tacit knowledge without working on it. And working on it is a commitment. Right? <laughs> it takes, yeah. you know, 24 months to be able to to work on it when it's in close supervision of somebody who's got four years of qualifications. So uh, yeah, I mean it's a profession, right? Like it's, you know, and it and it demands a close attention, especially it's not a casual pursuit. Right. 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 Because yep. the stakes are high. It has to work. You know. That's right. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean the stakes are high. It's you know, you don't have, you know, minutes or or even seconds to think about your decisions when you're working on it. And that's sort of the, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, a lot of the operations functions of what may be known as a system operator, as if they're kind of making fast decisions and working quickly. And and they are. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not about discredit, discrediting anybody's work. But when you see a lineman in a bucket truck and he's got, you know, half his body between 15,000 volts, you know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have time to, you know, consider what's going to happen five minutes later. Um, mm-hmm. He's working real time with something that operates at 60 hertz and, you know, hertz or kills at 60 hertz or, you know, at minimum, you know, the constraints on the grid are exceeded in ones, mm-hmm. tens or hundreds of cycles at 60 hertz. So just kind of end up like with this disconnect between, you know, how the physics actually work and, and what theorists kind of talk about. Right. So let me ask you about that, because that's fascinating to me. It's something that I think about a lot. You know, I'm about to give sort of a talk about energy and the energy transition to some years in Colorado. And I've been thinking a lot about like, what to talk to them a lot. I've been thinking a lot about map territory stuff. I've been thinking about how we think about energy. So let me put it to you this way. What do you what do you notice is the consequences of this disconnect between the people doing this work and theorists? You know, I, I mean, the, the worst case is, you know, you can end up with, you know, policy or, or decision makers that are disconnected from reality and not due to their own, any one individual's shortcomings, right? It's due to mm-hmm. a systems problem. Mm-hmm. But, but that can contribute to, you know, negative externalities that get born those using the system. And, yeah. and it's a simple So what's thing. an example, would you say? Like, even if it's just in theory or just, you know, not to, I'm not asking you to like, name names, Bryce, no, you know, <laughs> but, but like, give us, give us an example so we can flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I've dedicated my career to solving the technical challenges with proliferating, you know, variable distributed assets across T&D infrastructure. And, and it has been, you know, a one man show for the better part of, you know, maybe four or five years now saying like, look, you know, nobody knows how this machine is electrically connected at any given timestamp. And, you know, what are the implications for proliferating distributed assets due to that known, right? Again, it's the, this is all physics. So, you know, it, it's, I know the electric grid in the TND infrastructure can be kind of obscure mm-hmm. because we don't have access to it, but it's really no different than your house, right? I mean, could you, plug a bunch of things into your outlets, a bunch of generation sources into your outlets and, you know, use energy on via different outlets or different circuit breakers that are mm-hmm. fed out of your panel and not exceed the constraints of the wiring between them. I mean, you, you don't know, you don't, you don't know, you know, which circuit breaker is feeding every outlet and mm-hmm. you don't know, you know, exactly what other loads are on that same circuit. So the, 
and infrastructure just sort of is that problem you know, multiplied by many factors. So it's hard to see. Well, and the other thing that I'm thinking of is like, you know, the fashionable way to, and, you know, I've heard our mutual friend, Mark Nelson, talk about this, you know, that things like the levelized cost of energy, right. like don't actually factor in transmission, even as like a financial cost. Right. Or generator on the grid. So I think there's there's sort of a, a problem there too, in that like the way we approach how we're going to sink capital into generators that need to be connected to the grid and it doesn't factor that in seems to be another problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge problem, right? And and I'm certainly not an expert on many economics things. I've sort of mm-hmm. kept myself more on the physics side of the business because that's what I know. But of course, you know, I've helped out with plenty of uh, economic analysis in the course of my career, right? I mean, that is part of a function of using metering data. So yeah, like, you, you know, any of the infrastructure that you, you know, ignore either intentionally or inadvertently, which I think much more often it's inadvertent. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't like to think people are malfeasant, but I mean, it, it just ends up as a negative externality, right? And it, right. at the end yeah. of the day, these things, you know, they're, they're not really movers, like because people know, and you know, we just need to do better. So mm-hmm. do better. Right. So let's talk about that. Like, where what are the problems that you see like facing the grid today? Right. And by that, I mean in the strict sense, the the T and D. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of big problems, and a lot of people working on them, um, <laughs> and and all of them deserving of you know, attention and more attention in their own right. The biggest one, and of course, it's near and dear to my heart, but the biggest one that I see in terms of, you know, solutions and as a function of, you know, attention upon it right now is that whole indeterminate T and D connectivity piece, mm-hmm. you know, state estimation, and, and that, this gets into wonky topics quickly, but but uh, state estimation state estimation is challenging, you know, knowing how electrical infrastructure is coupled and an even timestamp mm-hmm. is is a real problem that's had, you know, a ton of academic effort put toward it for years. And once you end up with, you know, kind of multiple unmonitored junctions between monitored ones, things devolve quickly. And so I think, you know, solving that whole indeterminate connectivity piece sufficiently, I don't really know that that the focus is there. There's a big gap. So So let me get, as as a complete layman, let me see if I can sort of figure out what you've just just said is that you have multiple assets on the grid there of the grid being the t and d and it is you know there's no i always joke i'm like there's no like electrical sommelier that can be right. like ah yes this kilowatts from coal right. and right. new hampshire whatever right. you know what i mean like that's, that's right not, yeah that's not happening and so because of that you can't always know what's connected to what when and how much even power is moving between those things, perhaps, right? So there seems to be this whole field that would be important for things like reliability because you need to stay at 60 hertz where you're trying to understand that coupling and have deeper insight into it. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in in the, uh, I mean, the the implications are far ranging, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, again, nothing I ever say is, is to knock anybody. Um, sure. But we can look at like the, the, a lot of the corporate effort toward, you know, clean procurement goals mm-hmm. and attainable. Some of the best today is like getting more granular, 
right? Like mm -hmm. I've seen some stuff about like, oh, true clean is going to be when we reconcile our clean energy procurement at an 8760 granularity, right? Mm -hmm. So every hour of the year, this corporation is going to say I procured energy from a clean source. And that, that's all great, right? Like before that, we were just doing some sort of uh, less finite analysis, right? We were, mm -hmm. we were reconciling at something measured in days or, or months or years. So ours is certainly better. Um, mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it's like, okay, well, let's not forget that we operate at 60 hertz, you know, not sub one hertz if we're doing something every hour. And then similarly, you know, you can't ignore the connectivity component because the minute you ask those people, okay, well, where did you procure it from? Right. You know, we start talking about geospatial things mm -hmm. like, you know, well, well, it was within my state or it was within my region or it was in my, you know, nobody even says county. Well, Right. But what makes up the region? You know, right. like that's that's sort of the question there where it's like, OK, but again, like you would have to be so, so specific to know, right. you know, I mean, it moves in microseconds. So that's right. it, it, to say like in aggregate, it's kind of like, well, that's a load bearing. <laughs> if anything's load bearing. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and and another line that people may have heard me say before, but it's like the electrons are taking the wires to work, you know, mm -hmm. not the streets and not the air. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the geospatial location of things isn't really that important. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is important, the geospatial, you know, location of electric assets and, and other things connected to TND is important, but, but it's secondary to the electric location of the things, right? So, so unpack that a little bit for me. I don't think I quite understand you. So what would be the difference between the geospatial and the electric location of something? I think that's a yeah. fascinating distinction. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad, glad to hear that, that it resonates because, you know, some people grasp it and some don't. But, you know, geospatial location is a physical location, you know, where something's mm -hmm. located on the earth uh, or in space. You know, it may be a street address. It may be ideally coordinates, you know, GPS coordinates. Both are helpful, you know, mm -hmm. when when mapping or connecting electrical assets but uh, they're secondary to the electric location, right? And and again, you know, we just think of that in a parent-child, you know, context, like mm -hmm. you know, for, for the outlet in your house, you know, if you had a unique identifier for every physical connection between it and your electric panel, you know, what would those parents be working its way back up line? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, th those definitions are ambiguous. They're full of, you know, variability and in interpretation because everybody has, you know, unique naming schemes. And if you, you know, walk into a commercial building, you may see outlets labeled with a label maker at the top, right? It may say sure, yeah. circuit, whatever, mm -hmm. breaker this. But all of that verbiage is very ambiguous and sort of not defined and not standardized. And those same problems just exist, you know, when you move up. And Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it gets to be about parent-child relationships. That's the kind of the best. Right. Okay. So I think I hear you right. Like geospatial is easy. It's like it's down the block. You know, <laughs> like that type of type of thing. It's at these coordinates. I got that. Electric location is about what it's connected to. Right. Like physically, which power lines are touching this thing and bringing it that way. You know, and that there's like, there's basically, I'm sure, like whole like matrices of electric connectivity location that we're looking at that have to come from geospatial locations. But when you're looking at them, you're not looking at the coordinates, you're looking at the connections. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And, and for listeners, you know, depending on their background, another kind of 
helpful way to think about it is uh, contrasting it with like data networks or, or mm. other, I mean, even roads, right? Roads are a network. And you sort of get into like this, you know, single active path versus multiple active path distinction with the latter arguably defining a network, right? Mm. Network being something with multiple active paths, right? I can drive to the grocery store different ways unless I happen to live on a dead end road and the grocery store is on my dead end road. So, you know, the electric grid is functionally not a network, right? It is a single active path machine with a mm. ton of dependency built in. And so you end up, you know, using that redundancy via the, you know, 200,000 humans we talked about before to make sure everybody's lights stay on when you have to do planned or unplanned work. But that knowledge doesn't really make it any further than those 200,000 people doing the work. Right. Okay. So I just, while listening to you, I had a thought and then I, and then I have sort of a clarifying question. So the thought is that it's sort of like a power line goes down. I can look at an electrical map to figure out which power line it is and maybe what generation sources are, can't be sourced now or complicated by that. Just like I can sort of figure out maybe where it can't go now that it's down. That's mm -hmm. the electric location. And that I, in order to fix it, I need to know the geospatial location so I can go there and do it. Is that, right. okay, yep. okay. So yep. then the, the, the clarifying question I have is, I'm very fascinated by this because I think people use, and I'm pro I've probably done this actually, the phrase network to describe the grid very carelessly. Oh, yeah. And you've said single active path entity or, or whatever noun you use there. Unpack that a little bit. What, is that, what does that mean? You know, a single active path is, just, I guess, what it sounds like, right? Like a, a data network has multiple active paths, right? My, you know, computer gets information to your computer via multiple different sets of connected infrastructure, but we have routable communication protocols that define where my information goes and then it goes to you. You know, the inverse of that is the the electric grid that you know functionally really is just one active path right mm -hmm. my house right now is only being fed by one feeder breaker in a given distribution substation mm -hmm. and you know it, but it can have different ones applying because we have a lot of redundancy built in for planned and unplanned work or planned and unplanned events mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i think that's that's really the distinction i had another thought on it i lost it at the moment but it'll come back. Sorry. Yeah. Thought. If it comes back, we'll, we'll get on it. Okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Because it's not necessary. like it has to be single path and that it's like the electricity is going out towards a place. And even if supply and demand are being like balanced at all times in a way, it's not necessarily though. I think this is sort of a dream people have that the houses are then feeding power back into it necessarily. Certainly not at the level where it's like this totally dynamic, everything swapping between itself scenario. Right. 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 That's exactly it. Of course, energy exports to the grid. I mean, that's, yeah, that's how any you know, exporting has got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Does its job, right? And, yeah. and the same is true for, you know, rooftop solar or something. If you have, you know, 5KW on your roof and you have less than 5KW load in your house, you know, it's going somewhere and it's taking the path of least resistance. Yeah. But yeah, you know, to, to kind of say that it's, you know, definable at a very granular level is kind of a misnomer mm -hmm. uh, to this kind of indeterminate connectivity issue. And, and again, it's not to really blow a hole in any existing practices or say that, you know, Sure, no, we're just talking about like the physicality of the system. Yeah, we're yeah. not... We're not right. taking shots. We're not taking an ideological stance. We're just right. like, this is literally right. how it works. Take it yeah. or leave it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, at some point, these things are these things are definable. And the way they've been defined for years, you know, 
arguably has been working from a physics perspective, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> we, we have had issues where, where you know, we have frequency deviations and, and events that occur that, you know, collapse grids. But but functionally, that is how it works. And that's this, this issue is kind of why, you know, it really isn't a two-way thing mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. there's unknown constraints between. So let me let me ask you a question that's a little bit more, maybe a little bit more like social or something like that. We've talked, you've talked a lot about how, you know, it's just a numbers game. Not a lot of people know this. Not a lot of people touch this stuff. And you kind of have to do that in order to really be aware of what's going on at a grand granular level. What's it like out there in the field now? I know you're no longer a lineman, but I'm sure you have buddies that still are or whatever. You're in touch with people. Sort of mm -hmm. like, what, what's it like out there? What's the life of a lineman like? What do people not necessarily understand about it? I think even more visibility into the actual work is important too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great profession, great profession, mm -hmm. great trade. And I am a huge advocate of, you know, people going to trade school. So if there's, you know, anybody, you know, I won't even just say young people because, you know, I went to line school with people who are in their mid thirties and I know people who become linemen, you know, after that. So, so it is truly a phenomenal profession. It's, it's very organized and I'm not talking about any, you know, union representation or non, I'm just saying it's, it's a brotherhood. It's a, it's a really tight knit group of guys who are all doing the same work and, and your skills are really transferable because, mm -hmm. You know, the electric grid is the electric grid everywhere, right? Global. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the physics stays the same, luckily. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's it's been, you know, well defined over the course of a hundred years. And and if you go to work in it now, you're you're working in it in the best time it's ever been, of course. Like something like one in two or one in three linemen used to die on the job, you know, in oh, the late yeah. 1800s. Oh. If you read some of Edna Tarbell's, the the famous muckraker, some of her journalism from like the early 19th century, I think late and sorry, late 19th, early 20th, like she's always just like such and such lineman was killed by Monopoly, you know, yeah. and you see, <laughs> right. right, and you see sort of the like the sky just looks clotted with line yeah. infrastructure, you know, yeah. and it's like linemen didn't even know necessarily what they were plugging into or what belonged to who it's not like you can spray paint like a name on a power line you know right. <laughs> like right no no right it's fascinating you know and in the, the history on it really is interesting right i mean of course it's personal for me my dad was an electrician in mm -hmm. rural minnesota from 1970 to 1990 and, and he remembers bringing electricity to a few places right mm -hmm. and, and of course the first 15 years of my career were, were at rural electric cooperatives which were you know, that was their core function, right, was to electrify the rest of America. So so there's plenty of politics and history behind that, too. But mm -hmm. but, you know, to kind of bring it back to like what Lyman, what their jobs like today, you know, from 2006, seven to 2014, we were kind of just getting into like our clash studies and calorie requirements for fire retardant clothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was working with, you know, 20 to 30 year foreman who, you know, used to climb up a pole and set an energized phase on their belt their leather belt that was touching the wood pole. oh yeah right like you know and they change out the insulator and and then put a new insulator Ooh. on and get the phase back up off their leather belt and and tie it back onto the new insulator you know Good that was foreman sitting next to me in 2007 8 9 right yeah, so yeah so you know and, and i again going to line school in 2006 mm -hmm. i learned to climb without fall restraint like this isn't mm -hmm. that long right mm -hmm. so we didn't have fall protection belts that, that squeeze the pole. We we just free climbed or 
or hitchhiked, flipped our non-fall protection belt at the pole while we went. So I only mentioned that to say, like, you know, things are evolving and, and we're going a lot of really good places, right? Mm-hmm. And I've dedicated my life to making more of that. Um, but my, my career anyway, but maybe my life, geez, moved my family across the country for this. So, so anyway, you know, on the flip side, like that's where we just came from, right? Like we're, yeah, we're just yeah. finally saying, Hey, if you have a fault event, if you're part of an arc flash event on this portion of your distribution feed, this is the calorie that you're going to be the heat calorie you're going to be exposed to. So you need this specific rating on your, on your fire retardant clothing to be safe. So it's, it's interesting to contrast, you know, where we were with, you know, where we're supposedly going yeah. <laughs> while knowing a little bit about the physics. Wow. That is wild. I mean, that's really inspiring and heartening to hear. I think like, you know, most news is bad, so it's good <laughs> to right. hear that there's, there's something, something improving, especially at the level of workplace safety and just people coming home to their family safe. I mean, you yeah. can't really beat that in terms of improvement. That's, that's, like, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like top tier stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, that's exactly right. And again, 2007, eight, nine, we were having, you know, internal healthy discussions about, you know, mm-hmm. should the company be providing, you know, flame retardant clothing for employees or should hundred percent cotton still be the, the standard. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I'm not taking any stances on anybody being right or wrong, but to your point, like, you know, I had a wife to come home to at the time and, you know, now mm-hmm. two kids too. And, you know, so do the majority of the guys doing the work. So yeah, it is. It's 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 really a pretty cool story. And it's uh, yeah, I strongly recommend anybody interested to, you know, get into the craft and and go out and do the work. There's there's no better way to learn. Yeah, that's great. So actually, let me let me ask you: Is there anything I can put in the show notes that would direct people to that if they get inspired? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, certainly look up line schools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's several. I went to a, a tech school in Rosemount, Minnesota, Dakota County. Mm-hmm. Dakota County Technical College, great line school program. But there's, I, I have buddies who've gone to the other uh, tech schools in Minnesota. I think there's three or four of them now. Two when I went, and I've got buddies that went to, you know, Northwest Lyman College, who's well known and and does a phenomenal job training their guys. I mean, that would have, you know, been far superior to the, the education I had, which mine was great, right? But but they're exposing their guys to a lot more than I was exposed to. Sure, uh, sure. So yeah, those are certainly two good schools. Union apprenticeships are an excellent route. As everybody says, the minute you talk to anybody who the first piece of advice they give you is be willing to to go work wherever because you can learn a ton and and make good money while you're doing it, but you gotta you gotta be willing to, you know, be away from home a little bit. And right, right. A semper gumby, always flexible. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And really that's no different than any of us who you know, sure I mean, yeah. Any of us are gonna go where the money is. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've moved plenty of times in my life and I was not doing anything, anything like alignment stuff. So that's, that's really fascinating. So let's bring it back to sort of like where you're at now. Like what are the problems if you're allowed to talk about it? Are you encountering every day? Like, what are you thinking about? What, what's sort of foremost in your mind when you're thinking yeah. about the grid these days? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hoping to be talking more about you know, some of my recent or current work in the coming days or, or months. But but right now, you know, I can't say too much about what I'm doing. But but what I have done a lot of is built, aside from line work and system operations things, you know, my more recent work has revolved around building, you know, really accurate connectivity models. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, just by chance, when I was at one of the utilities that I used to work at, I, you know, happened to be at the utility that had already done a ton of legwork on making a really accurate connectivity model. And so I, I really was able to build on that work. I didn't have to do 
you know, 10 years of legwork that got them there. So, but I was kind of able to build on that with a, a colleague who had done a lot of that work. And in in almost more of the building on it was just kind of ideating about it more than anything. Mm-hmm. While while we did put a bunch of things in place that made things better, it kind of opened my eyes to like what could be. And and so so yeah, I mean that's what a lot of my work for the last oh geez, I don't know, since 2017, 18 has been about mm-hmm. and, it, and it still is today. There there are a lot of business needs for really accurate connectivity models, both technical, right? Like a planning and engineering function, operational you know, being the guys in the control room, working with the field people and economic, there's a ton of economic reasons, as you pointed out with some of the economic analysis that can be missing some of the the uh, factors. So yeah, the last thing, the last thing, if you're going to fund a project you want is a whole heap of financial externalities that you were not considering. That is the best way to kill a project before it yeah. even gets off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and there's a lot of people that you know, should rightly be interested in those things. And so it's really great to have an opportunity to to have this conversation. And in, in, in people can kind of think of it, the, the thing I like about it is that people can think of it from any perspective that kind of works for what they're working on, mm-hmm. right? Like like if you're, you know, somebody doing an LCOE analysis or, or work, you know, you can think about those things. Or mm-hmm. if you're somebody who's, you know, doing line loss calculations, you know, you can think about how, you know, this known trait may adversely impact your work. And I mean, those are two gigantically different use cases. And yeah, uh, totally. But they're so essential. You know, I see these like pie in the sky. Obviously, you don't have to endorse anything I'm saying. So I'll caveat (laughs) with this. I see these pie in the sky things where it's just like, we'll have this totally connected, like coast to coast, like single line type of thing. And I'm like, buddy, (laughs) you better know exactly what you're encountering. When you start writing those plans out, because line loss, all the stuff that you're talking about is like, that's the work. It's not the other stuff. That's the work. Like that is the keystone for execution. That's right. That's exactly right. And, And you're working with something that's iterative. So, you know, you can't, you know, it's iterative and you know, 50% of the infrastructure is not invisible, but it's opaque because, right. because it's underground. Sure. So, yeah. so, you know, you can't see it and get it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, I, I see a lot of kind of the digital twin stuff or, you know, we're going to, we're going to tell you exactly everything you need to know about your infrastructure. And it's like, yeah, okay. How? Like, you know, you can't, you can't yeah. do it by looking at it. And you can't do it by walking it because then 150 to 200,000 people that we've talked about are going to come behind you and change it. <laughs> and, you, and you can't and you can't do it by some, I would guess, say like almost like averaged or algorithmatized sort of like assumption maker. No, because that's not conducive to the physics of the machine. No, that's right. And 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 to kind of bring that, it's exactly right. But to, to kind of bring it home and to make it real for people. You know, like think about measuring voltage in your outlets, right? And I remember the topic that we had to move past that I couldn't. Oh, good, good. So we'll bring before. it all back. Yeah. Yes, because this is it's exactly fitting here is, you know, again, assume you want to know how the electrical wiring in your house is connected, right? You have multiple circuit breakers in your panel. So which ones are feeding which? Well, you know, take a voltmeter. And again, don't work with outside your skill set here. But, you know, you're going to go in and uh, plug a voltmeter into, geez, somebody's calling me plug a voltmeter into an outlet and you're going to get a, a voltage magnitude measurement. 
mm-hmm. you know, and now unless you're independently wealthy and you've bought 10 volt meters and you can go plug them into all your outlets, you're going to pull it out of that one and you're going to go over and walk and plug it into a different one. Mm-hmm. At which point tens or, or hundreds of cycles have elapsed because that took you five seconds to walk over there. But either way, assume you have voltage measurements, voltage magnitude measurements at every outlet and receptacle in your house. Do you, do you think you can tell me which ones are connected to which? Like, what does your sample rate have to look like? You know, what other measurements do you have to have? Like, you know, we can start talking about phase angles in addition to phase magnitudes because you're only getting the magnitude measurement when you, you know, hold a voltmeter in there and look at 120 volts. But you, you you can measure current. You can measure current angles and magnitudes. But 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 you know, just just consider a little bit because you you know you probably have some three way switches in your house. And in a you know as my as my dad would say, you know, you may have some California three ways, which are a real actual type of three-way switch that can be wired such that you have two different circuit breakers in your panel feeding one three-way circuit, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a light functionally that can be fed by two different circuit breakers. And uh, can you discern which circuit breakers upline, you know? Right. And which one is it? Yeah. Right. And, and now just extrapolate that problem by a factor of several thousand, at least up to the TND infrastructure. And, and that's what we're working with. So so it's a it's a fun thing, like it's a really fun problem space to be in. Uh, but, but yeah, the three way switch example was is what I was thinking of before. No, that's that's really great because that's that's so helpful for sort of like shedding light on the generation debate, yeah. right? And I would never ask you to take sides publicly, and I'm not going to go into a spiel now. The title of the show should tell people enough about what I think about that, especially if you know I have a listener base, so they all know what I'm about. Right. But that should, I would hope, the conversation that we've had here should heighten people's bullshit detector when someone's right. being serious about what they're suggesting and when they're not. If you just say, I don't care what type it is, we're going to build all this type of generation. It's like, well, good for you. Right. <laughs> you know, but w- yeah. like, where is it going to be like geospatially? And then what's it connecting to and how? Like, yep. that's that's it. Like first you have like the community siting, politics, finance stuff, and then the actual building of it. And then you have the hooking it up. And yep. these are not negotiable aspects right. of this process. That's right. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the things we're talking about absolutely touch interconnections, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really that's what you're talking about, right? And and even interconnections has sort of been a politicized word, right? Like then we're only talking about interconnecting certain assets or something. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. And there's so much more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, that's what we're, we're discussing here is interconnecting things to the electric mm-hmm. grid with grid defined as T&D. So, mm-hmm. you know, due to the reasons that we've talked about, we can see technically what from a technical perspective, why centralized assets are valuable, you know, yeah. and, and I don't again, I'm not taking sides and saying, you know, it has to be this type or even, you know, that we can't kind of flip that on its head a little bit and value distributed assets or you know, that we should or shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, I've devoted my life to making that technically functional. Sure. So, but but from a historical context and seeing where we need to go, you can see the challenges that we're up against. And it's, you know, there's a lot of talk about malfeasance in the world. And and I think, you know, highlighting technical challenges is important because that, I think that's good stuff to work on. And that's fun stuff to work on that can, you know, make people... Well, and it anchors the conversation in solving a problem Right. That has measurable results. That's right. You know, I think that that's what's so vital about this. It's like, you know, so certainly I'm in like the discourse wars for this stuff. 
But what frustrates me about it is that, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of bullshit. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's just a lot of talking and like, fine, but like, you know, who's going to be responsible for that? Who's going to actually go do it? What's it going to be made out of? Where is it going to go? Like, and in the two senses that we mean, like, these are the questions where it is possible to have a sane discussion about what's going on, if anything, because the stakes are clear, the results are clear comparatively, and like, everybody cares about the consequences. That's right. And we've had a lot of people working on the problem for a long time, right? So, you know, yeah. So, you know, we have people who, you know, say that they're going to solve this or say that they can solve it, or or they may not come out and say that directly, but it may be perceived that they can solve it uh, mm-hmm. due to communication styles and, and marketing attempts and those sorts of things. And, and it's important that we, you know, ask them specifically what they're going to solve, right? Like, you know, how well are you going to define these things? You know, what challenges are you going to run into when you do it? Because the minute you have these those types of conversations with those people, I've literally had multiple of them tell me, you know, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, from a grid planning and and control perspective, you know, centralization is certainly easier. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, I can't get away with saying that because otherwise I may be the malfeasant guy. So so I can't get away with saying that, you know, I'm here to solve those problems and and make sure, you know, those who claim to be are. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. Well, that's amazing. Bryce, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to me. This was fantastic. And I learned a ton. So where can people find you if they want to reach you? Yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter. That's it. Yeah, doing a little bit of stuff on Instagram, far less. But but yeah, Twitter's active. LinkedIn's active. Those are those are the best bets. It's my name. It's it's who I am. So you'll, you'll, I probably am the only one. So that's it. Okay, great. So everybody, I hope that was helpful. You can reach out to Bryce if you want. You can reach out to me if you want. And remember, stay sharp, stay strong, and stay radiant. We will see you next time.